Cain had relations with his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. To Enoch was born Erod, and Erod became the father of Mahuhael, and Mahuhael became the father of Methusael, and Methusael became the father of Lamech. Lamech took two wives. The name of the first was Ada, and the name of the second was Zillah. Zillah gave birth to Tubal-Cain, the ancestor of all who forge instruments of bronze and iron. Genesis chapter 4, verses 17 through 19 and 22. When our ancestors began to settle down, to become sedentary, to reside in one location or a stable set of locations, they developed technologies that would have been difficult to manage for a band of men, women, and children constantly on the move. Mentioned in the previous episode was the pottery kiln. Over the millennia that had passed since the Paleolithic, early modern humans had developed their mastery of fire, from the hearth that warmed the home to the earthen ovens used to bake bread into the kilns used to create ceramics, including pottery. It is believed that these kilns, particularly those constructed towards the end of the Neolithic, could achieve internal temperatures above 900 degrees Celsius. In, adi- in addition to making pottery, a variety of other purposes were served by the intense heat generated by these kilns. They could also dry food quickly for storage or other purposes such as the way that malted barley could be dried prior to brewing beer. As a side note, it is quite possible that I am doing a disservice and not dedicating an episode to describe in detail the way that beer and the technology associated with its brewing has contributed to the advancement of civilization in the history of the West. Everywhere that archaeologists discover Neolithic kilns, they also discover the remains of barley and other grains most likely used in brewing beer but the details of these processes are another thing that we are going to leave behind for the perusal of those deeply interested in such things as we continue down the road that leads through Western history to our present age. Kilns were also used to bake bricks for construction. Additionally, wood can be dried with a kiln and charcoal created. Finally, as the people of the Neolithic discovered, such high temperatures could also be used to heat copper and make it easier to shape. The utilization of copper, in addition to the wood, bone, and stone that had been the primary working materials of people of prior ages, distinguishes the late Neolithic period. In fact, some historians and archaeologists terminate the Stone Age when copper is noticeably introduced into a prehistoric culture. This period of time, when European and Near Eastern cultures begin to use copper, is known as the Chalcolithic period. Literally translated, it is the Copper Stone Age. Traditionally, according to the three-tier system of prehistoric ages, the Stone Age ends when bronze alloys are first created in the making of tools and weapons. This is known as the Bronze Age. Some historians interject a Copper Age in between the Stone and the Bronze Ages. However, there is good reason to stick with the traditional formatting of the Ages of Man. While the Chalcolithic is a notable and interesting period in the development of prehistoric cultures, one can certainly argue that it just does not have the same impact on human society as the Bronze and Iron Ages do when they arrive. For example, 
Researchers have noticed that the appearance of copper in the archaeological record does not seem to have much impact on the society in which it appears. There are no great cultural changes noted after copper begins to be hammered and copper items produced in large numbers. The same cannot be said for the bronze and iron ages that follow. When smiths begin to produce tools and weapons made from those metals, the changes happened quickly and frequently, with terrible ramifications for the surrounding cultures that did not adopt the same technologies. Late Neolithic people seem to have used copper primarily for social, not military or industrial reasons. Most copper finds in archaeological digs consist of jewelry. Very few tools or weapons turn up and the economies and other structures of prehistoric communities seem to change very little after copper appears in circulation. No, copper's most important contribution to our history seems to be in its requirement for making bronze when mixed with tin. But a few more things are worthy of note in the history of copper and early modern humans. Copper items, for the most part jewelry, begin to appear in large numbers in the archaeological record around 6000 BC in the Near East, Though there is some controversy here, and some would date it earlier, in Iran or even in Serbia. Nevertheless, mainstream consensus is that 6000 BC is the earliest significant appearance of copper, and it is around 5000 BC that copper seems to have been smelted for the first time. Copper did not have to be smelted in order to be useful, especially if your goal was merely to make jewelry. So it was already in use long before anyone tried smelting it, apparently. You can shape raw copper simply by hammering it, because it is a soft metal compared to others, such as iron. Copper is one of the most abundant metals near the Earth's surface, which, along with its low melting point, probably explains why copper became the first metal to be exploited by Neolithic men. Before moving on to bronze, there is another detail about copper that really gives us an eye-opening picture of human society roughly seven or 8,000 years ago. Archaeologists studying the sites in which copper was mined have found that our ancestors used some surprising and ingenious methods for extracting the copper efficiently. They took large pieces of ore, rocks essentially, and heated them on great fire pits. Once the rocks were sufficiently hot, they poured large quantities of water over them the extreme temperature change would cause cracks to appear in the rocks. Then, miners would tear the rocks apart by prying these cracks open with picks, hammers, and mauls. Interestingly, the tools that they used for this work were not made from copper, but were stone tools. The resulting materials then had to be transported to a different location, where they could be smelted. In our time, it is easy to imagine the late Neolithic period as a time in which men and women lived in trying circumstances on an earth unevenly populated by scattered tribes, just barely hanging on to survival. But the archaeological record is clear. Even before the rise of great cities in places such as Shumer and Egypt, people were organizing in large numbers, accomplishing great feats, trading over long distances, and specializing in work that was not immediately related to subsistence. If the Copper Age can teach us anything, it is that humans have been applying their ingenuity to the natural world long before they had even what we today might consider the most rudimentary elements of technology. In fact, the Bronze Age that eventually came would not have been possible 
if Neolithic people had not been far more advanced than that mental picture many of us might have in our heads of grubby vagabonds living hand to mouth. You see, bronze is made from the combination of tin and copper, and these two metals are not generally found near one another in great quantities. Without the prior establishment of long-distance trade routes, no one would have been able to produce bronze, let alone be able to experiment with the smelting of different metals in order to find new alloys. One of the rare literary works to come down to us from that period is the Epic of Gilgamesh, which will be addressed in greater detail in a future episode about Sumer. Knowing what we know now about the use of copper at this time, it is interesting to read from the prologue of this heroic tale. The ancient writer praises Gilgamesh for building walls and a temple in the city of Uruk, over which he ruled. Apparently speaking to a contemporary audience, this writer asks the reader, or listener most likely, but more on that later when we cover the invention of writing, he asks the audience to look on the cornice of the walls, remarking how it shines with the brilliance of copper, a seemingly odd description to our modern ears, an odd choice of words, using copper as the pinnacle of brilliance rather than, say, gold. Perhaps this speaks to the value and appreciation of copper at this point in history, when the Neolithic was slipping into the Chalcolithic and eventually into the Bronze Age. The Bronze Age began in the Near East sometime after 3500 BC. Most likely it began there first. That is the consensus of historians, but as with all historical matters, there is some controversy about the date and location of the Bronze Age's genesis. However, there is no doubt that bronze production did not really take off until it became widespread in Sumer in the middle of the 4th millennium BC and maybe a few centuries later in Egypt. So no one is sure exactly when prehistoric people first got the idea to create an alloy out of copper and tin. Nor do we know for sure where it happened, but we have a pretty good idea of how they did it, and most certainly we know why. Already having the capability to smelt copper, it was easy to work with tin, which has a much lower melting point, just 231 degrees Celsius. Remember, copper's melting point was over 1,000 degrees Celsius. The key was in the sequence of the procedure and the quantity of the metals, the two elements had to be smelted separately, and then the tin added to the melted copper. The best results today come about when the resulting alloy is about 12% tin. It is also possible to add other substances, such as arsenic, nickel, zinc, or other metals, to create varieties of bronze, and this was done in prehistory as well as now. It is unclear how the idea for creating alloys such as bronze first came about. Was it by accident or by trial and error? Either way, it was soon understood that this new alloy was special. For one thing, bronze is harder and stronger than both copper and tin are separately. And while copper may have been used primarily for jewelry, bronze immediately becomes a primary resource in a newly created prehistoric arms industry. Bronze weapons were superior to weapons made with stone or copper. To be comprehensive, a wide variety of tools made from bronze also performed better, but there is no doubt that it was bronze and bronze-edged weapons that began to change the world, change it forever. The following 2,000-year period in the ancient Near East, and in parts of Europe contiguous to this zone, is known as the Bronze Age. 
The Stone Age, then, comes to an end sometime before 3000 BC, and this new age of bronze begins. The Bronze Age will last until the Bronze Age collapse, sometimes after 1200 BC, the topic of a future episode. But the roughly 2,000-year duration of this era should tell you something about the impact bronze had on the human world. Why should this be? Why should a simple alloy of copper and tin create such powerful changes in society? With regard to the everyday tools of men, the answer is simply one of effectiveness. A bronze plowshare, for example, can do its work far better than a plowshare made from stone or wood. These latter plows could break easily when caught against rocks beneath the topsoil that they were meant to turn over. Such an event was a constant worry for Neolithic farmers, and it prevented the agricultural revolution from supplying even more food from cropland. Now apply this improvement in the integrity of tools to nearly every other area of physical labor for ancient man. Chopping wood, carving stone, digging, cutting. Numerous activities became easier and more productive with bronze tools. Finally, in your mind, apply the superior strength of bronze to war, to the weapons of war. And here you will find the true and lasting legacy of bronze for the people of this era. Simply put, bronze weapons were far superior to those made from stone or even copper. Bronze axes, swords, spears, and arrow tips. They could penetrate armor more effectively, cleave bones and bash skulls more brutally than any other kind of weapon. Of course, you could also design armor from bronze to counter such weapons, and so you have an arms race in the ancient world. The warlike legacy of bronze was apparent to all in the ancient world, to those who lived in the wake of its discovery and its implementation in the world of war. Like with many other technological innovations, it drew a clear line between those who used it and those who did not. Those who did not embrace bronze soon disappeared from history. Hesiod, a Greek writer whom will be a subject of a future episode, wrote famously of the five ages of man. He depicted an ancient golden age in which men and women were good and wise and lived in harmony. This was followed by a less marvelous silver age, which in turn was followed by a bronze age. The Bronze Age, according to Hesiod, was awful. The men of the Bronze Age were always at war with one another, according to Hesiod. Note that Hesiod lived in the Iron Age, long after bronze had been supplanted as the primary metal for industry and war. Yet there remains this sort of racial memory of the impact of bronze on human society even centuries later. You also might have heard or read about the Tallens Valley Battlefield in Germany, this site holds the remains of thousands of warriors who fought with bronze weapons in a massive battle over 3,000 years ago in northern Germany. This is just one instance of the way in which people armed with bronze would drastically alter human interaction for thousands of years. A later episode in this podcast series will address this again with the spread of the Indo-Europeans into Europe and into India during the Bronze Age. This period in human history brought many other innovations into human life. The wheel appears for the first time around the same time that the Bronze Age begins. How it was invented is not known, but some theorize that the potter's wheel came first. 
and then was turned into a device for transportation. The design of the wheelbarrow followed and improved farm work. Transport of a variety of goods became much easier as well after someone invented the axle to enable a two-wheeled cart to function. Such a cart would have been pulled by oxen, or by humans, of course, because the domestication of the horse had not yet come about, but that would soon follow. The domestication of the horse probably occurred sometime around the start of the Bronze Age as well. You can see now that new developments in human technology and society are becoming a cascade of inventions and innovations at this time. And with the domestication of the ox and the horse and the creation of bronze, there comes a change in the efficiency and productivity of agriculture. The horse and the ox can pull the plow harder and farther than a man. The bronze plowshare would have been another force multiplier in this activity. And the horse also becomes a part of warfare as cavalry makes its appearance during the Bronze Age. Though we have no record of exactly when all these changes came about, we can actually see into the time periods before their arrival in the human world. For example, when you read the Epic of Gilgamesh, the eponymous hero is lauded as the greatest king and warrior of his time, sometime around 3500 BC. Yet you never hear of him riding a horse or wielding a bronze weapon. He and his companion carried swords and axes, but the text is silent on what metal they were made from, and, most tellingly, when Gilgamesh is in mourning for the loss of his companion Enkidu, he commands the making of a statue in his dead friend's image. In doing so, the text refers to goldsmiths, to coppersmiths, and to stoneworkers. It does not refer to bronzesmiths, though the earliest written record of this tale, carved into clay tablets, dates back only to about 2000 BC, they apparently record an older oral tale that dates back prior to events such as the invention of bronze and the domestication of the horse, perhaps even before the wheel. So we are leaving behind, behind the Stone Age as the Neolithic transitions into the Bronze Age. Here and there, large settlements of humans, known as proto-cities, and which are also the subject of a future episode, these large settlements are becoming real cities with populations of thousands, even tens of thousands. Simultaneously, just as some people are coming together into large cooperating groups that exceed the sizes of ancient clans and tribes, other peoples are on the move. Most often, these migrants are not ragtag refugees seeking safe harbor in the lands of technologically superior neighbors. No, these are people armed with bronze and utilizing horses in one way or another, expanding into territory occupied by people still blissfully living in the Stone Age. Blissful, that is, until progress beats its way to their doorstep and plunders their house. Bronze Age people at this time everywhere are supplanting people who fail to keep up with the latest technological development. This is something that we see today as well, in arms races and in all technological developments. No one wants to be left behind, and with good reason. History has shown us again and again that failure to embrace the latest developments in technology eventually leads to extinction. Early modern humans in Europe would learn this over the next few thousand years, as cultures in possession of the latest skills and knowledge would increase their population sizes and seize new lands. Genetic studies have already proven that people in Europe today share very little DNA with the Stone Age occupants of that continent. Instead, their bloodlines come primarily from people who arrive later, 
coming out of the Near East and Central Asia, riding horses and armed with bronze. In the next episode, I will step aside briefly from the strict chronological path that I have followed so far and describe the impact, in some cases the literal impact, of prehistoric disasters and cataclysms in the human past and the way that they may have changed human culture. Until then, thank you for listening to the Western Traditions Podcast.